listening to the Locked On Broncos podcast, hosted by Cody Rourke, your daily Broncos podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back here for our film series season review. Joe Rouse and myself, Cody Rourke, NFL analyst, Broncos insider for the Lockdown NFL Network. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Cody Rourke NFL. Also, text me, join my community, 303-529-6323. Join the hundreds of Broncos fans that are texting me for Broncos news, NFL news, life talk, whatever. We're breaking it all across the board there. And also follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Broncos and like us on the book face. But, uh, you know, I want to get into our film series review here with Joe Rouse of Mile High Report. You guys can follow him at Joe Rowe underscore NFL on Twitter. He's my guy. This guy puts in a lot of work. And uh, if you're not taking the time to read some of his stuff, man, you are missing out on some great Broncos content. Joe, we're here for the final portion of our film series review. My friend, how are you today? I'm great. Happy to do this. All right. So let's get into it, man. So where we left, where we last left off, it was the Drew Locke debut. The against the Los Angeles Chargers at home, a 23-20 to victory. That's where we started getting to the whole concept of the Broncos officially being locked on. Now, I got to ask you this, Joe, because the following week, week 14, the Broncos were on the road against the Houston Texans, who had just beaten the New England Patriots on Sunday night football. Coming into this matchup, I I, I can't lie. I was a little nervous. I was concerned. I was like, okay, look, this is going to be a big test for this Broncos team. And uh, certainly, I mean, we ended up being very... Very, very surprised by it. Yeah, I I thought as long as uh, Law could adjust and kind of grow from some of the issues he had in the first game, he'd probably be able to move the ball. But I thought that Deshaun Watson was just going to tear apart Denver's defense because the last couple weeks leading up to this game, you started to really see holes starting to show up in the pass rush and in the secondary. And the Texans' aerial attack was among probably one of the three or four best ones in football last year when Will Fuller was healthy. I was worried about that, too, coming in because he was questionable for the matchup. Yep. And you had to factor in, okay, look, the Broncos, they got Chris Harris Jr. They are really inexperienced at corner outside of him. And this was one of those games like, man, Deshaun Watson, if he's got all these weapons and Hopkins and Fuller and Stills, I mean, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Broncos. I Coming into it, we found out probably an hour before kickoff that Will Fuller would be out of this matchup. And coming into this game, I mean, the Broncos got off to a big-time start. It started off with Drew Locke playing action. Um, he faked a wide stretch to the left side, the wide zone, and then he hit Noah Fant down the seam, and this was a beautiful throw, and it was almost to a point where I think a lot of people had debated this throw, uh, whether or not that it was a bad throw or that Noah Fant made a great play, but it seemed as if his ball placement here was to a point where Noah Fant could pretty much have the leverage against the DB trying to attack it, almost like a box out in a sense, and Noah Fant, you know, catch and run off, so he made a big play uh, to start the game, and, and it got the Broncos out of their own shadow of their own end zone and they were able to move downfield and we saw some big plays for him and obviously a strike on third down in the red zone and great coverage tough coverage underneath and uh drew lock well-placed football to Noah Fant, and the broncos go up on the board first what was your thought on that first drive for denver and just how quickly they got things started and it looked easy it looked like rich scandrilla was in his bag a little bit yeah that that was one of those dri- that, that whole drive kind of made you think this is what we were waiting for with Locke and Scangarello. And just that first throw, the anticipation to kind of know that the Texans were going to come out and look like Palms coverage, like a two read. Uh, and having the safety and the corner deep and the cornerback has to come up on Fant. Uh, Locke read that perfectly. Scangarello called the perfect play for that. And it was just, it was a phenomenal throw. He had pressure in his face, still made it. 
Uh, the touchdown was one of the better throws I thought Locke made all year. Uh, I mean, he just threw it on a frozen rope, basically. Safety never really had a chance. Uh, yeah, that that whole drive just it kind of set you up. A here we are. We're 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 going to be able to compete with the Texans. Well, my thought, too, after that drive is like, okay, hey, what is this Broncos defense? What are they going to do now? Because, look, the pressure's on them. The offense, for the first time in what looked like a long time, looked good. They looked efficient, and they were able to have success against a pretty good Houston team. And all of a sudden, you know, the defense comes out, and, you know, there's a couple plays here and there. They get a first down, and then uh, there's a fumble, and all of a sudden, Kareem Jackson... You know, he returns it for a touchdown. I mean, they got off to a very big start, and it really all started by a catch. I believe it was Kiki Cutie who caught the ball. Alexander Johnson kind of knocked it out, wrapping him up on the tackle. Jeremiah Tatu had picked it up, and it was kind of going down. I mean, he was wrapped up by one of the defense, uh, one of the offensive yep. players, and then all of a sudden, Kareem Jackson just happens to be right behind him in his homecoming. Tatu hands it off to him and the Broncos. I mean, they go all the way down the field, touchdown. I mean, you couldn't have envisioned a better start for this team offensively, defensively. I mean, two phases of a three-phase game, and they were already up 14-0 to early on the first, and that really kind of deflated them. They were able to go back onto the football field the very next drive, and we saw Kareem Jackson absolutely light up DeAndre Hopkins. So this Broncos defense came in, and they set the tone right away, um, and they were able to kind of fluster Deshaun Watson a tiny bit. He didn't have a really clean pocket to sit back in all day, which you know you quit to an aggressive defensive approach, but also the coverage for the Broncos was pretty good. I was really impressed with it early on. Yeah. One of the things that I was really uh, kind of surprised about and kind of it was a big factor, I think, in both the good and the bad a little bit in this is uh, Denver was playing a lot of too high in this game. And because of that, you could see that Fangio was trying to make them have to beat Denver very slowly down the field. And because of it, Denver had some issues defending the run. Part of it was Derek Wolf's injury previously, but also like the fact that they were keeping too high, even on some running downs made a difference. But with that said, like Todd Davis and Kareem Jackson just made outstanding plays. They were very reliably tackling a lot of players in the second level. So those five-yard gains weren't becoming like eight, nine-yard gains too often. Uh, and then Atauchu was just outstanding. Even even other than the fumble, he had a really nice sack. He was really key on some of the pass rushes early. He just He made Deshaun Watson uncomfortable. And this was the game where he bought more favor with Vic Fangio. And we started to see a little bit more of a Tauchu down the stretch and a lot less of Malik Reed um, and other guys there at the outside backer position because he's a veteran guy. He came in, he earned a spot there. But let's talk about the Broncos in the red zone, an area where they had struggled predominantly all season long. Uh, on this day in particular, Drew Locke, they were, he was 9 of 10 for 53 yards. He threw three touchdowns in the red zone. I mean, they had over you know, 31 points at halftime. They were up pretty big, 31 to three. Bill O'Brien had a meltdown as we later saw in a TMZ release vehicle uh, video about that. Uh, But Locke was driving the vehicle that led that kind of uh, momentum there. And Houston fans were booing Bill O'Brien, which, you know, to be honest with you, if I'm a Texans fan, uh, I'm very upset at the fact that he's now the general manager for that organization. It's going to go downhill uh, based on what we've seen. Bill O'Brien's always kind of bit himself in the tail there, but the red zone was the biggest thing for the Broncos in this game. Uh, There is one play. I do want to talk about too, Joe, because everyone was debating it. It was a throw down to the left side of the field, deep ball to Tim Patrick. And it was one of those ones where oh, Drew yeah. threw it off his back foot. And a lot of people were saying, look, I'm okay with you know him doing that uh, because he made the play. But what happens if that play is intercepted? I, I, my perspective is that's where he relied a lot on his arm strength. I mean, sure, it was a pretty play, but uh, you got to be thankful for Tim Patrick on that one because he would go back and try to go on the right side of the field to Cortland Sutton. He'd throw the ball and it was poorly placed and it was intercepted. And that 
that was just kind of where we saw Drew kind of have his highs and then he kind of went down a little bit. Uh, he kind of cooled off and that is where I, I was really concerned. Okay, what can we see with Drew Locke? Is he going to piece it together in, in terms of consistency the rest of the way? We saw him play a lot smarter down the stretch. Yeah, and this is one of those games I got some heat afterwards because even as good as Locke looked in terms of stats and how well Denver looked overall, he was still kind of getting away with some of the bad habits that he showed in that first game. And that the fact that he was still locked on, he was still very reliant on his first read. And you 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 could see him sliding away in the pocket, drifting away from pressure quite a bit. So he was making a lot of throws with his arm instead of using his body to kind of lead the throws. And that led to some of the it was a results over process game is how I would kind of kind of call this one. And granted, I'll take it. But uh, this was a game that it showed you the highs, but you kind of had a feeling that some lows were coming still. And I think Broncos fans, too. I mean, obviously, the Broncos would win this one 38 to 24. Uh, big momentum game. It had everybody around the NFL talking. The Broncos, they just beat the Texans in Houston. What is going on? Is Drew Locke the guy? I mean, those were the questions. And we knew that coming up, the uh, the one test would be Kansas City on the road. But little did we know, uh, the game actually wouldn't be something that we could actually get a clear evaluation on. So uh, let's transition over to the Kansas City Chiefs game here in just a moment. But before we do that, I got to remind you guys, if you're a listener of the Lockdown Broncos podcast. You got to be locked in and and plugged into everything going on with Denver sports. And right now, the NBA trade deadline is approaching us today. And the Nuggets have already made some deals. Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderbilt. Those guys are on different teams now. And the Nuggets might be willing and dealing all the way through the NBA trade deadline. Well, you need to check out Lockdown Nuggets, hosted by Adam Mades and Harrison Wynn to get your latest on the NBA trade deadline. And where you can see some current Nuggets. Are they going to trade guys like Monte Morris? Who are they trying to bring? Are they going to go all in for Drew Holiday? All these questions are answered on Locked on Nuggets. All right, Joe, let's get to a, a quick bit here on this game. Now, I, I think everybody's in agreement. The Kansas City Chiefs game, going into it, we were all thinking, okay, this could be where we see the Mahomes and the Drew Locke duel uh, for the division start. And we didn't really get a true evaluation of this game because obviously there was a blizzard. Kansas City decided not to put the tarp down on the field. And the conditions were really, really horrific. And the Broncos just couldn't get anything going. Offensively, they looked very stale, very stagnant. Drew Locke, this was a game where he just really kind of tested out his arm a lot more. And you mentioned the fact that he was locking on to receivers, obviously Cortland Sutton a little bit, um, Noah Fant, and there was a really bad play where he got intercepted. And it was, there was a penalty. They got the ball back. He rolled all the way out to the left side, threw all the way back across to the right side, down the field to Noah Fant, intercepted again. Uh, that was just a, a game where we couldn't get a real evaluation on how the O-line played. Uh, but the fact is, too, and I know it's hard sitting here and talking about this, uh, you know, Kansas City executed well, but Denver just did. Uh, but it definitely is one of those games I look at. I'm like, okay, look, we really can't get any true kind of evaluation that has uh, any kind of value to where the Broncos could be with Drew Locke. And so this was one of those burn the tape type games. What are your quick thoughts on this game before we get to uh, the Detroit Lions? I think this is just a perfect storm of bad things happening. Uh, there was a clearly there's a talent gap between where Denver is as of right now and where the Chiefs are. They just won a Super Bowl, but the snow. Uh, there was a ton of injuries on the defensive line. Uh, for example, Kyle Pecco was signed Saturday leading up to this game, and he ended up playing in the game. So losing Draymond Jones, losing Demarcus Walker, Adam Gossis, no Derek Wolf. It was just it was a bad game for that, and because of that, the Chiefs were able to basically move the ball at will. And then on the other side of it, Locke just had trouble with the fact that he was still locking on. The Chiefs had a few batted passes where it was just he was it was obvious where he was going to go with the ball. 
beyond that, the receivers were dropping passes, and it was a little bit of everybody. Uh, Lindsey dropped one, Sutton dropped some, Tim Patrick. So I just think it was just a bad game overall. There was one play I did like from Drew Locke to Cortland Sutton. It was a goal line fade, and Cortland Sutton has it in his hands. The DB makes a phenomenal play yeah. at the last minute and knocks it out. That was a great place throw. Um, and then also another good thing, too, we mentioned that play action fake to Noah Fant, a uh, big pickup of 41 yards down the field. But uh, Justin Simmons' interception obviously was the one thing that really stood out to me. This is a guy that just played uh, – I think he played a really good game. In my opinion, I think he might have played against Kansas City probably the best um, so far. I'd have to go back and watch all the KC film, but – he was all over the place. He made tackles for loss. He was in great position in terms of coverage. There were a lot of people getting mad at Isaac Adam. He was going on against one-on-one coverage with Travis Kelsey, and he was in great position. And there's times where, you know, he, he hitches up and they throw it short and he catches it and everybody's freaking out. Bench got him, but a lot of people don't understand cover three and the fact that you give up the short stuff, but you got to rally to it. And uh, look, I, I couldn't be mad at Isaac Adam or the Broncos really in this game because the, the odds did not favor them in terms of the injuries and obviously the weather. But I'm looking forward to seeing if the Broncos can get a game in Arrowhead next year that isn't snowy and we can see a little bit more about how the Broncos can maybe contend with the Super Bowl champions heading into the 2020 season. But Joe, let's transition over to the Detroit Lions. This was a game where uh, I was kind of anxious coming into it because the Lions, they were struggling. Uh, Despite the fact that their record indicated they were struggling, they still had one of the best passing offenses in the National Football League, Kenny Galladay being one of the top receivers um, overall. And it it was one of those things where Chris Harris Jr. was going to have to match up on him. And coming into this, the Broncos found themselves down 10-0 very quickly. And I would say the story, the theme that really stood out to me with Drew Locke is the fact that he responded with, he was calm, he was cool, collected, he didn't panic, he didn't be that gunslinger type quarterback, and he relied a lot on trusting his guys, guys like Deshaun Hamilton, a little bit of Corlin Sutton here and there. Uh, the run game got going too for the Broncos in this matchup, and Philip Lindsay, you know, had a little bit of a, a, a bolt to him as well. But taking a look at the Lions game, what were some of your initial thoughts? thoughts with this one I thought this was Locke's best game of the year uh he adjusted to the fact that he mentioned after the game that they were expecting Patricia to use more man coverage than he ended up doing and you if you watch the first three ga- uh first three plays of the first drive you really see how they're trying to identify the coverage Locke had a couple throws but he was cautious with it because he didn't want to risk throwing interception because the coverage was different than he anticipated that was really nice I thought uh Trey Marshall played better than that one, there was a big play to Kenny Galladay, but it wasn't really Trey Marshall's fault so much as he just ended up assigned, like because of the way the play call worked, he was a, he ended up on coverage on Galladay, mm-hmm. but that's just not a fair ask really of anybody. Um, Malik Reed got a second sack. That was nice. Uh, I thought Philip Lindsay in the run game was really good in this game. This is probably one of the better run rushing offense games of the second half of the season. And it really, that's the thing that really stood out to me as far as the uh, the backup offensive lineman coming in. Everyone talked about the fact that they didn't give up a lot of pressure to lock, but the big thing was the running game didn't fall off. It, it continued to kind of churn out yards. Uh, yeah, it was, that was really, really impressive to me. Yeah. Draymond Jones looked good. I thought Atachi looked good again. Um, and this the was the game too, where Draymond Jones won the AFC defensive player of the week, which was uh, wild for a rookie. Yeah, very wild. And uh, I looked at all the sacks again because I wanted to kind of dig into them. And uh, on the first one, Malik Reed beat Tyrell Crosby for a one-on-one play. Uh, the Lions dialed up a play-action boot uh, for the second one. Atachu stayed home. And because he worked to contain it, uh, Blau, both him and Jones could make it to the to the quarterback. On the third sack of the game, Blau was looking deep and held the ball. 
and Jones got up, got up to him. And on third and 10 for the fourth sack of the game, the Broncos only sent four and the coverage held up and the Lions only had three receivers. So Jones was able to ca- capitalize on that. It was, it was a good play. It was a good overall defense, I thought. And granted, it, it the Lions were a team that the Broncos should beat, but the true measurement of a team is beating the teams you should beat, if that makes sense. Uh, when the roster is better than their roster, it should show up, and it did in this game. Well, and I also think, too, the, the game that Philip Lindsay had and really the offensive line, got to applaud them. As you mentioned, Dalton Reisner didn't play the second half due to being yep. ill uh, and having the flu. I mean, guys were battling the flu all week long during this, you know, the buildup to this matchup and uh, really applaud them for coming out. I mean, they came out a little bit flat. You know, you're on 10-0 after a punt return for a touchdown, which was the second one of the year. Those things you want to avoid. Uh, but they responded really well. Drew Locke had some grit. It was the Drew Locke flu game of, uh, you know, 20, 2019. And uh, I think the color rush jerseys i like them i thought that stood out to me in this game but uh deshaun hamilton for sure you know one of those guys that was reliable for drew lock especially across the middle of the field this is where he started to build more and more confidence because if you go back uh, a couple weeks prior the los angeles charters game and drew lock's first game he had that big drop on third down and it was just demoralizing for him the soul stadium booed him so he responded in the last two games and is a guy that i think everybody should keep an eye on as well as you had mentioned here in your notes uh, but one of the things i think that uh stood out to me is the fact that the Broncos actually did a pretty good job against covering Kenny Galladay. You mentioned that one big play on Trey Marshall. Uh, really, that was against a that was a corner route against a tight, condensed formation. And outside of that, the Broncos did a pretty good job. Isaac Adam had a couple of good plays in coverage. Chris Harris Jr. Uh, this was one of those games where the defense pretty much did what they were supposed to do. They bent a little bit, but they didn't break. And as you mentioned, the getting to the quarterback, giving to David Blau was huge. Malik Reed and obviously Draymond Jones having a big week uh, for him. Uh, the thing that concerned me, too, was the right guard position. We know that Elijah Wilkinson was kind of banged up a little bit, and so when he went in at right guard at Schlotman, he, uh, he he just struggled. I felt like he was the one area on this Broncos team that, that kind of struggled um, a little bit. I was a little worried about it, and I was saying, hey, look, if uh, you know Leary can't play and Schlotman does well, well, look, the Broncos might have an in-house option, but he didn't do enough, in my opinion, to convince me that the Broncos should look at him as a legitimate potential starter at right guard once they part ways with Leary. Yeah, and it's one of those things where maybe an offseason of working under Munchak might make a difference, but I'm not I, I kinda hope they address it. One thing with Schlotman with him coming in in this game that I did notice is uh both in the Falcons game and the Lions or not the Falcons game, in the Texans game and the uh Lions game, they used him on some pulls and they didn't really do that much with Leary because early in the season they tried it once and Leary didn't look very comfortable in space, and I think part of it was just because he was coming off the uh the injury the year before. But the fact that Denver wanted to do that kind of hints to me that they might not be happy with Wilkinson there just because Wilkinson's not really mobile either. And it's something to look for. They, they may very well just slide Elijah Wilkinson down to right guard and kind of go from there. But I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and try and find somebody who, who lets them be able to pull either way because they already were doing that a lot with Dalton Reisner. And the fact that Reisner made tremendous strides. I mean, this was one of those games. He missed one play against Minnesota, and he missed the second half, which obviously impacted his uh, 100% snap count. Um, but it's really crazy to think that for a guy who's a rookie, he really played uh, not like a rookie in the entire season, obviously missing only you know uh, half of a game and one play against Minnesota Vikings. Very durable. And he was one of the best pullers for this Broncos offensive line. And it's going to be a big question mark there. Uh, in terms of one guy, too, because you, you know there was a 
a play that stood out to me early on as well, and you mentioned it here in your notes, was the fact that Drew Locke had a pretty well-placed throw to Devontae Booker on a third down, and he just dropped it. It went right through his hands. I mean, that, yeah. that could have been uh, a big-time play for the Broncos, especially in the fact that it was early in the game, um, and it could have gave them some momentum, and unfortunately, you know, uh, they'd go down. Detroit would kick a field goal and then score a touchdown on the punt return. So then, I mean, you look in that game, if the Broncos were to lose to Detroit, uh, that could have been a big storyline there. Uh, I really want to get your feedback on this one. And when it comes to Devontae Booker, uh, would you rather have him back or would you look at Theo Riddick? Do you really entertain the idea of Theo Riddick maybe being utilized by Pat Shermer in the style of offense as a receiving back? Well, I actually, uh, I wrote a piece today about uh, what I would do if I uh, ran the Broncos for this free- coming free agency. And uh, I actually did re-sign Theo Riddick. So that's, that's where I would go if I had the choice. Perfect. And we actually posed that question to Broncos fans last week for one of our burning questions series. I don't know if the Broncos need to necessarily take a look at the NFL draft for another running back. I think that they have some guys. Theo Riddick, obviously, we didn't get to see too much of him in 2019, obviously, due to that injury sustained in the preseason. But uh, really for the Broncos in this one, as you mentioned, I felt was a complete team effort. It was a resilient yeah. effort. Vic Fangio had talked about it. These guys battled. They found themselves down 10-0. Uh, he mentioned the fact that they're they're not proud of the record, but they're proud of this football team and who they can become. And and to me, I think this is where this was one of those games where you see the culture change from Vic Fangio starting to carry over. You see it on the play on the field. Guys get energized and he's calm, cool, and collected. Because I, I felt like if the Broncos were coached by Vance Joseph, being down 10-0 felt like a death sentence almost in a lot of those situations. Uh, I didn't really get that vibe uh, with them against Detroit in this game. And obviously one of the top passing offenses in the National Football League at the time. And Danny Amendola, obviously a guy being uh, one of Matt Patricia's guys going back to the New England Patriot days, but the Broncos would come out with a victory over the Detroit Lions, 27 to 17 at home after finding themselves down 10 to zero early on going into the second quarter. So now before we get into our week 17 regular season finale against the visiting Oakland Raiders, I got to remind you guys, uh, if you guys love lockdown Broncos, go to Apple podcast right now and leave a review. If you love the show, tell us why you love it. And we'll give you a shout out here on the podcast. And also I got to mention guys, if you are a fan of podcasts, you like listening to Lockdown Broncos as well. Joe Rouse and Jeffrey Essery of Mile High Report, they're actually creating a podcast called Cover 2. And the artwork is phenomenal. Two great guys with great football minds. Obviously, you guys hear Joe here uh, for our film series review. Check out their podcast over there at Mile High Report. They do awesome work, and you guys should check it out as well for Broncos content. Alrighty, week 17, the regular season finale, the last time the Oakland Raiders would be called the Oakland Raiders. And this was one of those games, Joe, I was coming into it and I was just worried about how are the Broncos going to adjust to Derek Carr in the quick passing game? That was my biggest concern. Uh, Also considering the fact that, you know, is Josh Jacobs going to play in this matchup? He was listed as questionable and then he had surgery a few days beforehand. So that obviously ruled him out. Uh, The Raiders in this game, Made things interesting partway through the third quarter, but the Broncos, they felt, had some rhythm. They they did struggle a little bit. There was a bad penalty on Garrett Bowles. Uh, the refs flagged him on sportsmanlike conduct or unnecessary roughness after a play. A couple of holding calls here and there. Um, but this was a game that made you sweat if you were a Broncos fan. And just watching it, I remember after they had scored that touchdown uh, to tie the game up at, I mean, to make it 15 to 16 and possibly go for the two point conversion to win the game, I was a little anxious there. And, and big time, you know, ups to Shelby Harris 
who's going to command a big contract because he gets the hand on the ball. But Hunter Renfro ran one of those angle routes. He stemmed, he attacked to the outside, throttled his hips down and came back inside what we like to call a little bit of a fin route. And, you know, it would have been open there. It would have been open. He got Will Parks to commit outside. And luckily, Shelby Harris batted it down. But that was one of those things. And when you look back in hindsight, okay, thank God, you know, for Shelby Harris. This is a guy who saved the Broncos tail many times this season. Yeah, it was clutch. There's no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say to that. Like Shelby Harris had so many good plays like that. And dating back from basically when he just first came to Denver and started to get a lot of playing time, he just kind of has a knack for showing up in the big moments. And if this is the last play they'll have in orange and blue, I'm, I'm glad he was on the Broncos t- side that time. So, it was big. And, and we'll see where Shelby Harris ends up yeah, for the Broncos. I, and I, I, I want nothing but the best for him, whether he comes and stays or if he goes, but Thank, like I said, thankfully he was there. So let me ask you a question. You mentioned, you know, taking a look at the Raiders defense. They're a young team. They're they're in the same boat as the Broncos. They have a young football team. Now, they don't have a young quarterback. Uh, but outside of that, their defense, Max Crosby is a phenomenal player. And they were all over the place. Hankins as well, Clellan Farrell. These guys, John Gruden is picking up. I mean, they are tough-nosed football players, and it's not going to be easy for the Broncos to win the division, let alone compete with just Kansas City. they got to compete with Oakland. Well, not Oakland anymore, but Las Vegas. Uh, what were your thoughts really on their defense? Because in this one, I just uh, I saw a lot of things that said, look, this Oakland Raiders team, they're building something. Uh, the Broncos got to find a way to counteract. They are. Uh, leading up to this game, I was doing power rankings posts, and I had Oakland and Denver neck and neck because – even looking forward, they both have a lot of cap room and they both have a lot of draft picks. So watching what Oak, uh, not Oakland, but watching what Vegas does this offseason is going to be really big. But uh, in this game, you really notice the difference with uh, Jake Rogers instead of Elijah Wilkinson. I know Elijah Wilkinson took a beating because he was kind of overmatched as a right tackle leading up or for most of the season. But his replacement, Jake Rogers, Denver was the ninth different uniform he's worn in the league. And he got his first career start in this game because of injury to Wilkinson. And I don't think he's probably ever going to get another start. And I don't mean that to like hate on the guy, but he was just, the Raiders went after him a number of different ways. And Locke was under siege basically all game in part because the right tackle situation was so bad. Uh, Max Crosby is probably going to be a future pro bowler. I would be very surprised if he's not at this point. Like his athletic testing last year was through the roof. Everyone expected him to need some time to adjust the NFL, and then he hit the ground running like he did. So he's he's going to be very good. The Broncos struggles early in this game, too. I mean, Darren Waller is a guy the Broncos have to find a way to diagnose. Okay, when when the Broncos play the Raiders, you got to take away uh, Darren Waller. Now, luckily, no Josh Jacobs in this game, but Josh Jacobs is going to be another guy that you have to game plan for. Um, I think if you can counteract those two threats right there, you have a good chance of beating the Raiders. But uh, early on in this game, a screenplay. I mean, the Broncos had some good coverage, and then a screenplay and a long catch and run saved, you know, by saved the touchdown uh, by a touchdown saving tackle by Will Parks. That could have been ugly for the Broncos and obviously the red zone defense held up and and obviously forced a field goal attempt there was a play where Isaac Adam had bit on a double move by Hunter Renfro and luckily I mean it was on third and one luckily Renfro just dropped it that was uh probably some mile high magic right there occurring there but the Broncos defense they were doing their best they're on the field quite a bit they were trying to get after Derek Carr 
Von Miller gets his eighth sack of the season and a big play right before halftime. Trey Marshall coming up, wrapping the receiver up and forcing the fumble, picking it up and being and it being blown dead. They gave the Broncos some momentum there. And as you'd mentioned too, Deshaun Hamilton also coming back into his own, becoming another reliable target once again, consistently week in and week out for Drew Locke and and really I think played himself into a role on this football team heading into 2020 despite the talk the Broncos looking at wide receiver in the NFL draft I think that Deshaun Hamilton can have a role is he going to be the feature speed burner type role for the Broncos no he's not going to be that guy but he can be a reliable third down target uh, in the sense of what we see Julian Edelman become for you know the New England Patriots is he going to be the same level of Julian Edelman I don't know I think that's very hard to gauge at this point uh, but definitely Deshaun Hamilton in my opinion stood out in a big way in this game yeah and I mean and you already mentioned Trey Marshall but I think somebody asked me on Twitter the other day whether I see I've seen enough to think that he has a potential future with the Broncos and I haven't gone back and studied his two games just him but the two games that I saw of him after watching him in training camp in the preseason last year he made enormous strides and I think he fits the Fangio defense in a way that he definitely should have a future uh, that play that he made at the end of the first half basically is the difference in the game. The The Raiders were driving. They're on their own 33. They completed a 20-yard post. And then Marshall comes up and strips the receiver and recovers it. And because of that, the Broncos end up being able to score right before the half. And they won by one. So... That's so key, too. So critical. Uh, and as you mentioned, too, is to uh, our good friend Andrew Beck uh, and a guy that's played himself into a big role, I think, for the Broncos going into next year. Even with Andy Janovich, I think Beck has proved his value to the team. Um, and, and there was a play that we didn't really get to reference there in the Houston game, but they had set up a design with Philip Lindsay and then they had used the same formation and they leaked Beck up the middle of the field and then across, and he was wide open for a big time catch and run. Uh, so I see a lot for him there. Brandon. Manis, he goes for a field goal and uh, doesn't get it. I believe it was at 57 yards, misses it, and all of a sudden uh, it kind of proved Vic Fangio's narrative that, look, you know, trust me, when I when I say we're going to kick it, we're going to kick it. Uh, that was one of those things we saw, and I almost don't know through that if – Brendan McManus, you know, might have soured uh, maybe his relationship with Luke Fangio. I'm not quite sure there because I know he's outspoken after not being able to kick that 60-yarder um, against the Los Angeles Chargers, but it just kind of made uh, the kicking element a little bit more. Is Brendan McManus a long-range kicker? I'm not quite sure. Is he a guy that you want to kick, you know, a 47-yarder or 30-yarder with no time left? And, yeah, I think that's the case. But uh, I was a little anxious anytime he lined up from long because sometimes he'd have the the accuracy it looked like, but not enough height or arc on the kick and it would fall just short. Yeah, and that was one of those things that, even dating back to the Vance Joseph era, that always kind of bothered me. They'd talk about how he can make a 70-yard kick in uh, in pregame, but the pregame in, in the game with people rushing is just completely different. It's not the same. So I'm hoping kind of going forward they keep him within like the 51, 52-yard range because he's pretty money from there. Yeah, more favorable. And uh, Joe, uh, we we go through this. The Broncos win this game 16 to 15 off of Shelby Harris heroics late in that game. And obviously, what a way to end the season. But uh, we got some questions from a couple listeners of the show for you and I. And I'm going to ask you these questions. And it comes from our good friend Bleeds Orange and Blue. He says, Locke looked different in the Houston game than he did in the Lions and Raiders. Why do you think that is? And which Locke do you think we'll see the most often moving forward? And if you know, how does Shermer's scheme affect? your answer i think the the houston game to the detroit lions and raiders games really show you the growth he made even throughout the season 
in the first three games of the year, he was definitely really still kind of just figuring it out, kind of just showing off his arm talent, still kind of getting away with some bad stuff. I think, and Jeff and I have talked about this a couple different times before our podcast. I think he needed the Chiefs game to happen just because he needed to kind of say like something to tell him you can't just get away with the stuff you were getting away with leading up to this. Cause in college he could. Yeah. And, and you see it in the Lions game, he wasn't doing it quite as much and granted in the Raiders game. And like, there's still times in both games where he'll kind of make things happen beyond the play, especially in the Raiders game. Cause the offense around him kind of was just falling apart and he carried the offense with his legs and kind of just buying time and stuff, but he can still play in structure and he was showing growth in structure. And I think that's important to see going forward. Uh, I think under, go ahead. Sorry. I was, no, I was going to, I was going to piggyback off that continue on with that. Sorry about that. No, no. Uh, I was just going to say, I think with Shermer, the the big thing we're going to see where it changes is Denver used lock and shotgun more than they did the quarterbacks before him. Uh, the first eight weeks of the season, or the first 12 weeks of the season, uh, lock, uh, quarterbacks in Denver were under center 48% of the time. Lock was under center only 40% of the time because Skangarel started to move the offense towards more shotgun, towards more spread stuff. Shermer... Shermer's more than happy to do that. And I think with 11 personnel, they'll be able to take advantage of that. Now it's important to figure out where they, they need more receiving talent. But one of the things they can do is no fan essentially can play like a big slot. And I think that they'll do that because they have both Howerman and Andrew Beck and Andrew Beck will probably be a hybrid tight end fullback type. I'm excited to see that, too, for the Broncos. Really a lot of questions with the new offense led by Pat Shermer. Mike Shula is the quarterback coach. The Broncos offense, they're getting a lot of experience on the coaching staff, which I think could be great because they're a young team overall and usually see an experienced staff transform some of those younger guys a lot quicker than a younger staff would, as we've seen the kind of fall off from the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay and all the the hotness about we need a young coach right away. And I remember that narrative was so I'm glad the Broncos went with experience because experience at the end of the day always wins. And our last question here, Joe, comes from Justin Crockett. He's talking about, he asked the question, how bad was Von Miller this year? And has that emoji with his hand over his mouth looking up at the sky like in wonderment? Uh, I'm just going to say I didn't think Von Miller had a bad season. If we look at it from a sack output production, he finished the year with eight. And, you know, the first four weeks, they were frustrating for Von Miller. He also sat out against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, I felt like he could have maybe amassed 10 sacks this year, maybe if he played in that Chargers game. Um, But I, I go back to it that he created opportunities for so many different guys this year. Derek Wolf having a career year for the Broncos. Draymond Jones having a big year as a rookie. The Broncos D-line all across the board coming up big. And also it opened up opportunities and coverage for guys in the second in the secondary. Uh, what was your thoughts on Von Miller's season? And would you rank it as a bad year for him? No, not even, not even a little bit. Uh, according to Sports Info Solutions charting data, Von finished in the top five for pressures, individual pass pressures last year. And then you look at some of the other guys on that list, which were like Shaq Barrett, Khalil Mack, Danielle Hunter. All of them had more help than Vaughn did. And that isn't to say anything bad about Malik Reed or Justin Hollins or Shelby Harris, Derek Wolf. But after Bradley Chubb went down, it kind of was Vaughn Miller on the edge. And Fangio had to kind of play with the scheme to kind of get him looks and try and manufacture pressure with everyone else. And even still, Vaughn Miller ended up having over 30 pressures more than anybody else did. So... No, I don't think he had a bad year at all. And I think those sack numbers will come back this year. Uh, it just happens sometimes. Sometimes you don't get home. 
And I, I think that's where fans really got to stop looking at box scores in terms of saying like, okay, wow, he only had a, he only had one sack or he had half a sack. He didn't have four sacks. I mean, production can come from an outside line, especially in a 3-4 style defense. It's much more exquisite than other positions. It's very difficult. It's very tough. And for Von Miller to be able to do what he was able to do, uh, considering all things uh, with this Broncos defense, the early on struggles, they finally got that momentum going and the quick passing game. I mean, they played a lot of teams that tried to get the ball out of their hands quickly. Kudos to those offensive coordinators. They found a way, especially when the Broncos were lacking in coverage without guys like Akeem Tlaib or Bradley Roby and Chris Harris Jr., three guys like that. Uh, they were able to take advantage of certain areas of the field. So Von Miller, uh, ready for a big year, training this offseason um, with it, with the Hells trainer. I mean, he, he's going through the whole thing. I imagine he might maybe try to lose five or ten pounds heading into next season. So very excited to see what he's going to be doing uh, with his offseason and for the Broncos to be able to get back on track. We know it's going to be tough with the AFC West with the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, the Broncos. Like I said in yesterday's episode, they got to find a way to rise up to the bully on the playground, punch him in the mouth, and fight back because it's going to be a big season for the Broncos in Vic Fangio's second year. And Joe, I just want to say thank you, man, for joining me this entire way through the film series review. A lot of the great work you put in in your film study. Uh, that's one thing I've always appreciated about you and your ability to break down the game and to understand it. I think you also do a great job of telling it to where the listeners can understand it as well. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. And guys, you guys can catch Joe on Twitter at Joe Rowe underscore NFL and also at Mile High Report plus the Cover 2 podcast, which him and Jeffrey Esri of Mile High Report, they co-host it together. It's phenomenal and they do great work and you do not want to miss it. More Broncos content. I mean, what more could you ask for all year long? Broncos country, we appreciate you guys and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the show.